What's up, guys? In my driveway, trying to set up this podcast. It's now 2018, so 10 years ago, this interview happened with Ryan McBride and Keith Morris. You're going to have to ask Ryan McBride how it happened. I have, I don't, I have no recollection. But it's an interesting listen. And, you know, Keith Morris is freaking hilarious. Um, I was in a band called Ten Free Hookers with Ryan McBride and Patrick Sullivan. I was doing this podcast called The Podcast Pregame, which I uh, made a website for called NJ No Scene. Um, it was supposed to be this big hoop de doo that I did for two months, and then it was over. It just ended, I don't know. And then I changed it. But um, I still have the podcast, and I'm trying to upload them. There's a lot of golden nuggets and all this stuff. Uh, Ryan McBride on the phone with Keith Morris is very entertaining, and that has to be heard by some people, uh, not everybody. Um, for the people on Anchor that have no idea what's going on, uh, you know, this was in Ship Bottom, New Jersey, Jersey Shore, South Jersey. If you guys know where that is, it's Long Beach Island, I don't know, um, 10 years ago. And uh, we were trying to do a podcast, and this is a relaunch of, uh, it's not a relaunch, it's just... Um, a regurgitation, a discharge of old material sitting on a hard drive. That's good stuff to listen to. So um, I'll let it roll. Brian McBride, fantastic human being. He still resides in Shipbottom. Keith Morris, fantastic human being. He still resides in the West. Talk to you guys later. Bye. What message do you have for the youth of today? Is there anything... For, well, for... you gotta you, you 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 gotta stay positive. Okay. And you you can't be burdened with all of the the crap that's going on because there is a lot of crap going on. And you have to be true to yourself. Uh, you have to be a good citizen. Okay. Um. There, there are a lot of people that use the um, use the, the punk rock moniker as an excuse to be ignorant and stupid. Right. And that's the last thing that needs to happen. We need everybody to be focused. We need everybody to be sharp. We need everybody to be as intelligent as possible. Because we're just being dumbed down. We're, we're just being numbed. We're just being trotted and pushed into uh, our categories. And that's that's where they want us. And, uh, they want us to be have-not so they know where we're at and know what they can do with us or to, or to be able to do to us.
Hello? Keith. Yes, Ryan? Yeah, it's Ryan. Uh, whenever you're ready, I, you know, we could, we could start whenever you want. Okay. Um, you, see, you all relaxed and uh, ready for the interview? Yeah. All right. Uh, this is Ryan McBride. This is an interview with Keith Morris of the legendary punk band, The Circle Jerks, originated in 1979. How are you, Keith? I am doing pretty darn good, considering everything that's been happening lately. Um, let me get the stereo off right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, we ran into each other over in uh, Philadelphia at the Club Polaris. Yes. And uh, uh, you were going to uh, interview me after we got through with our set. And the problem that I had was that I'm a diabetic. Right. And if I don't eat on schedule... Uh, everything gets kind of tossed out the window. Okay. And for me uh, to to perform without like uh, a full meal before we play, uh, it's kind of like a car at the Indianapolis 500, a car that's only got uh, half a tank of gas, so uh, it doesn't complete the uh, entire race. I honestly didn't even notice until until the very end when you were when I was sitting with you. I mean, I I saw you at the very end, and you were really tired. I, I was actually concerned. I was like, Jesus, what the hell? You know what happened? And uh, well, I was on my uh, for about the last three or four songs. Uh, I was on my knees, uh, crouched down in front of the front of the stage. I, yep. uh, luckily, there were all the kids there. The great thing about the, 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 the three shows that we just did on the East Coast were that we played in all of these uh, venues that don't erect barriers in front of the stage. Oh, it was phenomenal. So that allows everybody to be right at the front of the stage. And what that allows me to do, see, we, uh, as the Circle Jerk, have no backing vocals. Right. I am I am lead vocalist and backing vocalist, mm -hmm. which, which can lead to me getting winded at times. So as long as there are all of those kids and people at the front of the stage, I can just shove the mic down in front, and there is going to be a whole chorus of people willing to sing whatever is necessary. That it and was... I really appreciate that. I mean, you go and see these bands like Bad, Bad Religion has like three vocalists, four vocalists. You know, I, I, I don't think Greg or, uh, oh, fuck, what's the cat's name that plays drums? Bobby Shayer. And, and uh, Brian also sings backing vocals. And, uh, God, I can't remember his name. He's a new drummer because Bobby Shayer had to come, had to leave Bad Religion on account of a shoulder injury. Correct? Yeah, B Bobby never rehearsed. Right. So Bobby would uh, get in a get in a uh, rehearsal situation and be out of shape, or start a tour with like maybe one or two rehearsals and not be in shape. Right. You want to play this kind of music? You have to be in shape because it's a very there's a lot of there's a physicality to this music. Mm -hmm. If there's no jumping around, if there's no energy, you, you might as well just shoot a music video with a bunch of people standing around with some kind of storyline and, and not even have the band perform in the video. You know, it's like uh, 
on the warp tour or <laughs> right <laughs> you know fallout boy or some crap like that right absolutely um i was just reading a story about bo diddley who just died okay and i don't know if you're familiar with bo diddley but he created a rhythm pattern that's that the yard birds and david bowie mm-hmm. and Susie and the Banshees and the Cramps and the Clash, they all used it. I, I read a, uh, a portion of this interview where somebody else was saying, you know, they, they would hang out with him and he would never say anything bad about any of the other people that were playing music at the time. All the way up until his death, he would never say anything bad about any of the other musicians, any of the other bands, any of the other groups, artists, etc. And I was just thinking, you know, maybe this is a guy who listened to his own music and only listened to other bands that he was playing with. If, if, there, if, if there was a live situation, the other bands that were on the bill, like Chuck Berry or the Rolling Stones or, you know, Eric Clapton or whoever, so he never badmouthed anybody, and I just, I had the feeling that maybe he never really paid that much attention to a lot of the other music that was going on around him. Okay. And I, I kind of wish that I could be that way, but the, the problem is, is that I listen to a lot of music. I see a lot of bands. Mm-hmm. And even now, even now, even to this day, I just, um, I, I, I just got through working for a record company. I worked for a record company for five years, and I was going out uh, on certain nights. I would go out and see as many as seven or eight bands. Uh, I, I really have to say that I wish, you know, like I, I started to say about Bo Diddley, I wish that I could be like Bo Diddley, but I can't because. Uh, I paid too much attention to some of these bands, and a lot of them aren't worth paying attention to. You know, Greg, sometimes when we're on stage, I'll start making comments, and Greg, our guitar player, will start cringing because he is a staple on the Warp Tour. And the Warp Tour, as much as I love the Warp Tour for what it is, and for not what it's become, but because of what it started as, not what it's evolved into, the majority of the bands on the Warp Tour really aren't worth, they're not even worth bad-mouthing. They're, they're, they're that bad. I agree. We're driving down Broadway. We played two shows in New York. We played in Philadelphia, then we played in uh, Manhattan, and then we played in Brooklyn. And we were staying in Manhattan, and we were at 48th and Broadway, so we had to drive down Broadway. And driving down Broadway, there's the MTV building oh. and there's big photos of this guy who I guess is the lead singer of Fallout Boy right. and uh, I, I turned to Greg and I said you know I, I, I just a lot of these bands a lot of these bands I might hear a, a little bit of their music I might hear you know maybe a verse or a chorus maybe the combination of the two maybe hear two or three of their songs and I, I'm bad mouthing them and dissing them and I, I, I turned to Greg and I said now, when I just fall out, boy, am I correct in doing so? And Greg said, "Yes, actually, you are. They're really, they're really not very good. And th- this is a band that's probably sold uh, maybe six or seven million records, maybe even more than that." Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I happen to agree with you, and I'm not just saying that because 
you are who you are. I happen to agree with it, and uh, believe me, I listen to as many bands that you grew up playing with. I can honestly say that I do not have one Fallout Boy record, and I wouldn't know them if I fell over them, to be honest with you. Okay. So well, you wouldn't know them if you were uh, driving down the street and you ran over them? <laughs> I honestly would not know them if I was driving a humongous bus and they were lined up in the street with a sign that said, Here is Fallout Boy. We are. I am... Please drive over us. I wouldn't even know who the fuck they were. So, <laughs> uh, you started out in Black Flag in the late '70s. How did all the how did how did this come about for you? Like the Black Flag thing, eventually to start the Circle Jerks. Well, my life early on before the punk scene was that I listened to a lot of music, just like I listen to a lot of music now, and okay. I grew up. Every time we got in the car, my mom would turn on the radio. So I grew up with AM radio. And growing up with AM radio back in the 60s, it was probably, that would probably, in my opinion, be the greatest time for music. Okay. Because we're talking about, like, the British invasion. We're talking about um, the riot on Sunset Strip. We're talking about Laurel Canyon and folk music that came out of Laurel Canyon and Coldwater Canyon. The bands that I would mention uh, amongst all of those bands would be like The Seeds, The Birds, Love. There would be Buffalo Springfield. There would be The Beatles, The Rolling Stones, The Who, The Kinks. There would be The Zombies. There would be The Association. There would be... The, 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 that's just the beginning of the list. You know, it just, it gets bigger and bigger and uh, all the way up until through the 70s when you would have bands like, uh, late 60s, early 70s, you would have bands like The Move and Cream and Led Zeppelin. You would also have The Velvet Underground. Then you would have bands like, when, when you would get into the 70s, you would have bands like Golden Earring and Blue Oyster Cult, you would have Deep Purple, you would have Alice Cooper and Blind Faith, you know, and then okay. the, the late 70s, early 80s, you would have X, you would have the Bags and the Weirdos and the Dills and the Eyes and the Plugs, right. you'd have the Controllers, the Crowd, and you'd, you'd, then, then you would start moving into when we started doing our thing, mm -hmm. but it's like... Uh, I don't remember if you were paying attention to our set. Absolutely. Last Friday night, we have a part in our set where we play two songs. And one of the songs was co-written by a guy named Tito Lariva, who was in a band called The Plugs. Right. A guy named Chris Desjardins, who was in a band called The Flesh Eaters, who was also responsible for signing bands to a record label called Ruby, which was part of Slash. Now, Slash put out Fear and X and the Germs' first album. Right, Media Blitz. And on Ruby, they put out The Misfits' Walk Among Us, us. which is an, an amazing album. One of my favorites to date. They also put out The Flesh Eaters. They also put out The Gun Club, who were also an amazing band. Okay. Um, play a song that was co-written by these two gentlemen, and then we play a song that is obviously a band that would kind of set a template for us, or a blueprint for us. Go ahead. And that would be the Weirdos. 
Matter of fact, on stage I heard you mention these bands, and I remember you saying that I was right in the front, and uh, I remember you mentioning these bands that were very influential to you, such as the Weirdos, and uh, I just have to ask you, I mean, this is the second time you've said that, and uh, I know of them, um, I listen to them myself, but why them, and can you tell me who who else besides the Weirdos? Uh, well, if, if, if you listen to the Weirdos, they have an attack mm -hmm. that also was kind of a punk rock starting point for Black Flag. Right. And there was a mutual respect between the two bands. Mm-hmm. Denny, who was the, the, the uh, lead guitar player in The Weirdos, is also like one of my best friends. Okay. He also played in a few bands that were also friends of mine. He, he played in a band called Polonius Monster, mm -hmm. and one of my best friends was the lead singer. Uh, one of my neighbors, Pete Weiss, who was the drummer, he, just, he lives right across the street from me. So we all have kind of a... There's also a friendship that goes on amongst all of the bands. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the great things about the early L.A. punk rock scene, was that there was, there was a camaraderie mm -hmm. amongst all of the bands where everybody was friendly with each other. There, there wasn't any kind of backstabbing, bullshit, ego trip. Uh, our band is bigger than yours, so we, we have to play after you. The, the, out of... 50 bands there might have been maybe two or three bands that were that way you've you've been in the industry i mean for so long too long too long <laughs> you know at least a good 25 years 30 years i mean you've seen a lot come and go what do you think of the corporate beauty school that is the so-called punk rock scene of the last 15 odd years well i mean what what, what are your thoughts on that now you, you mean that the the way that the record companies have been treating some of these bands, the way the, the uh, industry has been looking at some of these bands, uh, the way that the uh, money-making machine yes. uh, has been able to uh, pick and choose certain bands to, what, 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 how would we call it, blow up? Well, yes. I mean, my very importantly, how does it? How do they? You know what I'm exactly what I'm talking about. How do they compare to you? I mean, the first the first wave of the American hardcore bands uh, in your day. You know, your Circle Jerks, your Black Flags, your Bad Brains, your Fears, your Minor Threats, your Wasted Youths. This corporate beauty school that we have today. I mean, how would you compare that to when you first started with the rest of these guys? About the, then the, compared to the now. The situation now, I believe, is just. Um, there are so many pockets of different genres of music that the camaraderie really, if it's there, it's, it's really in the background. Um, I believe that the, the record companies have to serve up their pablum to placate their uh, shareholders and stockholders. You know, to keep them happy, they got to come up with the, these like perfect bands. <laughs> yeah, you know, to put in their slots, and they, they perpetuate this really bad bowl of oatmeal that yeah. they serve to the public. Right, and we we actually we need these bands. We need to, we need the record companies to be be doing some of the things that they're doing because what happens.
happens is when you have these horizontal bands, when when something vertical comes out, it it stands out. You know, it's kind of like you have to search for the needle in the haystack, and when you find the needle, it's worth it. Have you found that even today in 2008, in the last eight years of the millennium, have you found that golden needle? And maybe one, maybe three, maybe five out of oh, no, out I, of. I, I trip and fall on golden needles more on on more occasions than you would think. You know, the, there, there's a whole new wave and rash of bands right coming from all over that are really cool, that are really interesting, that have a great energy. Any anyone from Matt and Kim and the and Monotonics to Fucked Up and Hit Me Back, Brutal Nights, Burning Bra. Okay, so those are some of your favorites nowadays. I was going to ask you. Yeah. That was yeah. that. That was that was something I I was definitely very interested in asking you. There's so much. There is so much noise. music and noise out today. Which of today's music do you find influential? And if not influential, no, there's also more bands. There's the Jesus Lizard. There's the Melvins. Oh also yeah. Also Sonic Youth and Super Chunk, Rocket from the Crypt. Now a lot of these bands no longer exist. Yeah. But it's stuff that, you know, maybe somebody would be reading this interview or listening to this interview and would go, well, that name sounds really interesting. Maybe I should go and check them out. You have know, you, television, Sparks. Have you heard of the Hot Snakes? Well, Hot Snakes is one of the guys from Rocket from the Crypt. And now the Hot Snakes, two of the, three, actually three of the guys from Hot Snakes are now the Night Marchers. I mean, who... Who the, list, the list goes on. There's Turbo Negro. Oh, they're fantastic. I've seen you them know, a couple there's times. The Lime Spiders. Right. The Lime Spiders the are old. The Flaming Lips. The Flaming Groovies. I'm very fortunate in, in that my mom was um, pop oriented, which would mean that she would sing, sing to my sister and I. Uh, like Doris Day songs. Right. It's something that Doris Day would sing. Something uh. that you would hear on the radio. Whereas my dad, he was a jazz drummer. So was he? he was into like Coltrane and Ornette Coleman. He was into like uh, Elvin Jones, who is like, when you talk about jazz drummers, he's probably the jazz drummer. Okay. Are, are, they, um, are they still around? No, my, uh, Elvin Jones, I believe, is dead, and so is my dad. And you, Elvin, Elvin and Jerry are both dead. They've sadly gone to wherever, wherever else they were going to go. Your mother and father. Oh, my mom's still alive. My mom still rocks out in Tucson, Arizona. Oh, is that where she is? Yeah. Because I saw a picture, an old school picture of you and your mother. <laughs> At at like I guess it's your you were, it was your house that you grew up in. You had to I mean you still had the the short hair and you had a Budweiser and you were biting your nail and it was you and your mom. So that was in Inglewood, California. You know that picture? Yes. Oh no kidding. And uh, about half a block away was uh, where South Central started, and we would say uh, niggers with attitude and. Uh, ice Cube, Ice T, <laughs> Crips, The Bloods, All The that. Front Lines. Okay. And they, uh, while I was living there, never, ever, ever messed with me. Like the, 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 the uh, 
<laughs> Even though, like, the, some of the guys that are in the gangs are, are pretty crazy themselves, you don't mess, you can mess with everybody but, but crazy people. And they thought that I was, they, they, they thought that I was nuts because I was, like, one of the only white people in the neighborhood. You this, this was this was after my mom moved out and her parents died and you know I was like I was in this neighborhood where on one side I had a guy that worked for the U.S. Postal Service on the other side of me for a neighbor I had an Inglewood uh, police officer and right directly across from me I had a L.A. County probation officer so you would think that the neighborhood was pretty much middle class black okay. but there was there was still a lot of gang activity there, 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 there was still a lot of that kind of stuff happening around me but like I said they never messed with me because they, they knew that I was a freak Circle Jerks were jamming in your garage? Uh-huh. Oh, that's great. I also, because I, you know, I listen to everything you said on stage. It's, it's just what I do. It, you know, it was, it was wonderful. Uh, you were talking a little bit about politics in between the songs. What do you think about what's going on today? I mean, you know, the war, the presidential campaign, uh, fuel prices. I mean, what I mean, what, what are your ideas? What could be changed? And about how well, we deserve all of this because they allowed... George W. Bush to get away with what he did, not once in Florida, but twice what he did in Ohio, where those were both key states, and they were both states that, uh, that the year that he beat Al Gore, when he didn't beat Al Gore, when Al Gore actually won the election right. in Florida, mm -hmm. and what they did was they had somebody come in and, and just scrap names off of the list, mm -hmm. like, you can't vote because your last name is Smith, and so you're a convicted felon, because there's a convicted felon in, in one of the Florida prisons whose last name is Smith. Mm -hmm. You know, they would tell a, 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 a 50, 60-year-old, like, senior citizen that they couldn't vote because they were registered criminals or uh, convicted felons. And, and these people couldn't fight back because it was just, it would have been too much of a, an expense to hire the, the lawyers and take it to court. So my uh, feeling towards Al Gore, I think that that uh, film that he came out with and, and, and warning everybody about global warming is totally brilliant, but I still think that he's a chicken shit for not standing up for those people down in Florida. Okay. 
Exactly. And then I feel the same way about John Kerry for allowing the, the Republican thugs to show up at polling places in Ohio mm -hmm. and, and actually threatening senior citizens with like physical damage if they were to vote. Right. You know, just these Republican, these fucking Republican thugs, Kerry not not doing something about that. The reason why these guys don't stand up to the other guys is because they're all pretty much members of the same club. Mm -hmm. they're, they're getting back to the camaraderie of the punk rock bands in L.A. There, there's sort of that same kind of camaraderie amongst all of these politicians that they don't want to step on each other's toes. They don't want to do anything that's going to interfere with any of their political, you know, much larger political endeavors. Right. You know, who, who wants to uh, jeopardize when President Bush leaves? He gets paid 160, I think he gets paid $165,000 a year to be president of the United States. I think it's more than that. Um, no, I don't think it is. It's actually... It, it, it's not much more than that because of all of the other opportunities that are allowed to him. You mean like the... You know, all of this all of this buttering up and looming of all of these, taking all of this oil company money. Right. You know, all of, all of, all of these political donations. Mm-hmm. Um, but his pension, after he leaves office, uh, add another hundred thousand dollars to that each year you know he gets that for the rest of his life well what about all the oil and invested no, in that no, no what about the three hundred and sixty five thousand dollars a year that he gets once he leaves office <laughs> well that's okay that's... Multi multiply that by about four right that's you know, insane and, and, and guess guess what financial bracket that kicks him into humongous yes you know, that's just for four years. Yeah, he's been... Talking over a million dollars. Oh, well over a million. Yeah. It's, it's it's sick. It's sick what we're dealing with. You had a lot of people back then in, in, in the day, you know, after Carter, especially in the punk rock community, who hated Reagan and his policies. I mean, how, how do, how do, at the time, when you were, when you were on stage singing what you were singing, how do Reaganomics compare to Bush and his current policies of today? I mean, how do you, how do you compare the two? With all oh, that much worse now. With all that hatred that you... Know, you this, this guy and all of his cronies and the people that work with him, mm -hmm. or work for him, or work alongside him, they're the biggest group. They, 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 they make Nazi Germany look like fucking Saturday morning cartoons. These are some of the most evil people that have ever walked the face of the earth. And you would look at him and you would go, well, he, he looks kind of grandfatherly, you know? Yeah. He looks kind of like a nice guy. Mm -hmm. Carl Rove, he just, he just looks like Humpty Dumpty, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, he just he looks like, um, I, I have relatives that live in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Okay. Their last name is Hershey. Uh, my grandfather Hershey was, he was a preacher, but he had kind of a wicked, evil side to him. As nice as he could be, he could also be just a mean old motherfucking prick. 
That was your grandfather. He was a, he was uh, a, 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 like a second grandfather on my mother's side. My mother's oldest brother married a Hershey. I mean Hershey, as in the Hershey chocolate people. Oh yes. So you. But you look at these people; they don't look evil. But they are. George W. Bush. He doesn't look evil. He's just fucking. Uh, there's kids running around in my neighborhood that are smarter than he is. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding? You know, this is a guy. He owned an oil company, and they drilled and they drilled and they drilled and they drilled, and they still couldn't find oil. He's also a guy who owned a major league baseball team, the Texas Rangers. Right. And they couldn't win a game to save their lives. They traded Sammy Sosa to the Chicago Cubs, and we saw what happened with Sammy Sosa. Right. He became one of the biggest home run hitters in the history of the game, even though he was taking steroids. You know, all those guys during that time were taking steroids, human growth, hormone, what have you. They're just, when I say they're just, I'm talking about those people who are over in Washington right now. They, uh, I believe I made the comment that what happened to the Tsar and his family at the start of the Russian Revolution should be the same treatment that these people in Washington get. I don't know if you know your world history, uh, history of Soviet Union. I was a history major in college. The Russian Revolution, they took the Tsar, who was pretty much the king of Russia, who had held his people down, who was, you know, evil, not, not any more evil than Joseph, Joseph St- Stalin, who was, uh, they figured that he was worth, what, about 40 million deaths when he did his purge. Oh, uh, he was he worse than... just killed anybody that opposed him. He was worse... was still aligned with the Tsar. But they, what they did was they took the Tsar and his family, and it was a fairly large family. It was like, I think it was maybe, um, it was the Tsar, his wife, Anastasia, and I believe there were four daughters and one son. And uh, maybe one or two of the daughters were married. Mm-hmm. And so now all of a sudden you have princesses and princes, and they took all of them um, down into a basement and stood them up against a wall. And executed them? Shot, shot them, yes, they executed them. Now a couple of them were killed out in the woods because they tried to escape, but... Um, that's pretty much, you know, at one point I was talking about um, what we need to do is we need to eliminate all of this halftime crap at the Super Bowl. It's I'm, right. a, I'm, a sports, I'm a sports fan, but I'm, I'm tired of Janet Jackson and fucking Huey Lewis in the news or whoever is performing at halftime, Cheryl Crow or, you know, whatever. They need to eliminate that, and what they need to do is they just need to have a public execution. You're listening to the podcast pregame at triple W N J K N O W S C E N E N J No Scene dot com. You're listening to the podcast pregame at triple W N J K N O W S C E N E N J No Scene dot com. We have too many people in prison. We have too many people in jail. If you kill somebody and you're found guilty, and they do the DNA and you're still guilty. Um, you don't get to you don't get to hang around. No, you know, there, there, there's some guy. They they just like gave this guy here in Los Angeles life. He was feeling really bad, so he parked his truck on 
the train tracks, and the train hit the truck and derailed, and 11 people were killed, and like another 35, 40 people were injured, and his family was crying for sympathy because he was really depressed at the time, and it's like, you don't park your, you, you don't pull an idiot move like that and park your truck on train tracks no. in front of an oncoming train. You just, you just don't get to do that. That's a guy, what they should do, they should maybe hang him over the court at a uh, Lakers game during <laughs> halftime over at Staples Center. <laughs> okay. You know, and any any kids, any teenagers, kids, uh, cuckoo adults in the crowd is like the public announcer says, and yes, this is what happens to you if you go out and do something like this gentleman did. And, and make a pinata out of him? Uh, not necessarily a pinata. They could just, like, leave him hang. They could show the stretched neck. Uh, what they could do is they could uh, do, like, what they used to do when they would... Uh, Say at City Hall. Public execution. Well, the public execution, public hanging, mass hanging, that's all fine and great, but they could also say if you were just guilty of maybe stealing somebody's car, okay, um, what you're going to get to do is you're going to get to watch that person's car for the next 10 years <laughs> and make sure that their garage is cleaned out and there are no oil stains on the, on the uh, cement. In the, in, the, in the garage or in the driveway. And what they're gonna do is they're going to uh, handcuff you and leave you chained out in the uh, square in front of the city hall for like maybe a week, you know? Of course you'll get, you'll get your water and you'll get your bread, you'll get fed three times a day, but you're just, you're, you're just gonna get to sit there and be uh, a piece of meat to all of the elements. You know, if it's 98 degrees out, so be it. If it's, you know... 20. 34, 44 degrees out, so be it. You know, maybe you can have a sweatshirt when it gets cold. You know, maybe you could get a long sleeve shirt when it gets cold. Uh, we're just, we're too lenient with the people that do and commit crimes in this country. And all of a sudden, the prisons have become a big business. Yeah. It's like here in California, mm -hmm. the prison union, the guys... Got the guards at the prisons are some of the highest paid in the nation, and they're some of the most power. It's the pow most powerful union in California. Now, there's there, there, there's something really ridiculous attached to that. Oh, absolutely! I have, and, and that is what we need to do as a nation. We need to look around the world and look at the countries that have the least amount of crime, uh -huh. the least amount of murders, Australia, the least amount, the least amount of all of that, and say, what we're going to do is we're going to mimic them. We're going to do the same thing that they do. How about Singapore? Now, it might be a Middle Eastern country where if you get caught stealing, you lose a couple of fingers. Right. But here, nine out of ten times, I, I side with the liberals, but I'm, I'm a big fan of... Uh, Punishment. Okay. Uh, I, I believe that, you know, if the guy locks three children in a fucking SUV and then sets the SUV on fire... He should be burned. Th that is the guy that should just be placed on a stake at, at, at the Santa Monica Pier mm -hmm. on a Sunday afternoon 
in front of thousands and thousands of people that are down at the beach to keep cool and do some body surfing and just lit on fire. Yeah. Right. And you, you, you would hear him scream and yell and beg for mercy and all of that kind of stuff. And what would, what would happen is you would have all of those kids that are there and they would be turning to their parents and they would be saying, Mom, Dad, why are they doing that to that man? What, what did he do to deserve that? Right. Thus, forcing the parents to be parents. Exactly. We have, our, we have our good and we have our bad. This guy was very, very bad. That's what happens to you when you're bad. As you've gotten older, growing up in California and being exposed to what you've been exposed to, the bands, these type of things, you, you started something. This thing called punk rock. You, you have carried on the flame. Have you gotten angrier or more tolerant as you've gotten older? Well, I wish that I could meditate. I had a, I had a doctor teach me some uh, easy meditation uh, techniques. I, I live in Los Angeles and it's really stressful. I live in a space, I'm right underneath a helicopter path that leads to three different hospitals that I'm looking at. I'm looking out my front window right now. I'm uh, about four houses away from one of the busiest intersections in the world. And so we have all of the cars and the buses and the, I'm also around the corner from a fire station, you know, with the paramedics. So, you know, there's always the sirens and the flashing lights and then there's the helicopters and right around the corner from my house is also a very busy movie theater. So we have all of these people that come into the neighborhood and they park in our parking spaces to go to the movie theater. Are you, are you married? Am I married? Uh, I'm, I'm too much of a flake. I'm not responsible enough. The only way that I would be able to get married is if, if I'm married uh, an heiress to say some cosmetic company or you know her father owns the L.A. Times or you know owns the Philadelphia Flyers mm -hmm. or the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, I just uh, I, I just got dumped by the girl that I was going with. I it was see. a uh, long distance relationship and. She felt that we weren't on the same page, and uh, because I, I I live in Los Angeles and she lives uh, just outside of Philadelphia, that we couldn't spend enough time together. And I personally thought that it was brilliant because I don't want to be breathing down somebody's neck, and I don't want somebody breathing down mine. How do you feel about? Technology. I mean, by technology, I mean, I mean. Owning a CD player and a widescreen television. No, not that. Be, not being hooked up to cable. Not that technologically advanced. I mean, like. <laughs> or, or being, uh, being a, a, a an owner of several computers in disarray that, and none of them work, or uh, <laughs> having only owned an electric razor for maybe three months out of my life. This is you. By technology, I mean your iPods, your cell phones, your computers that don't work, your iTunes. I mean, Christ, 15 years ago, I was I was using a payphone to make calls to my mother to pick me up. Now it's skyrocketing. And, and it worked, didn't it? It, it worked. Yes, it did. <laughs> now, I can't even... 
and she picked you up. I called her and she picked me up. Um, have you ever seen a movie called Repo Man? Oh yeah, well, you're in that with uh, Emilio Estevez. I'm going to re refer to one of the characters in Repo Man. There's the three punk rock kids that are running around. Um, they have their mohawks and their flat tops and their skinheads. And one of the punk rock kids is a friend of mine, his name is Dick Rude. Um, made a statement one morning when I was working at the restaurant and I was serving him coffee. He was sitting there with Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and he was sitting there with Bob Forrest from Thelonious Monster and both Flea and Bob were talking on cell phones. Dick Rude wasn't. Dick said, Keith, you know what? We were doing just fine before we had these. Yes. <laughs> uh, I happen to completely agree with you because when I was... when I, I, I didn't get a cell phone until about 2002, when I was about 22. And now I look at it and I'm like, I can't go anywhere without the fucking thing. I have two cell phones and one of them... Actually, both of them were gifts because I'm, I'm not about to run out and buy a cell phone. Right. But the first one, I decided after about a year to take it out of its uh, plastic, its little plastic display, the little bubble pack that it came in. Right. I took it out to start reading the instructions. And I looked at it, I put the instructions back in the box, and I put the cell phone back in the box. And it's still sitting on the shelf. The second cell phone I got, I got last March at a musical event called the South by Southwest wow. and one of my friends bought it for me he said Keith you've got like three or four hours worth of free time on it you know we're only going to use this phone to contact each other say if you're at a club and you see a band and you think that I should run over here to see them you're just going to call me and I'll come running over well the phone unlocked in my pocket which meant that all of the uh, minutes on it right. just went up to wherever those three minutes go as mm -hmm. they're leaving your phone. Whatever water or whatever space in the air they go to, whatever little area they take up, right. they all disappeared. So the phone was absolutely useless to me. Okay. I got an iPod as a birthday gift, uh, I believe, six years ago. Okay. Six, six, seven years ago. Big white one? And it's up on the top shelf. It's still in the box and it's still sealed. <laughs> and I, I don't know how many is it gigabytes, megabytes, ultrabytes, right. jujubytes, whatever the fuck they are. <laughs> I really, I really, you know, I don't have time to. <laughs> I, it's 15 gigabytes. I don't even know what that means. So obviously what you do is you just, you download stuff on your computer and then you put them into your iPod. And your iPod, somebody was telling me one guy has an iPod that he's got like 40,000 songs in or 100,000 songs or, you know what? I rather I just, if, if I had a gun, I'd just fucking blow my brains out. <laughs> Oh man, but I, no, I, I got my, I had an iPod my mother got me for Christmas about five years ago, and I just started to use the fucking thing, 
two years ago. So I've had the thing now for about three months. And okay, but I got a question for you. Okay. I got a, I got a series of questions for you. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, who produced the song? Where, where was it written? Who wrote it? Here's a, a question that's even more important than those last few little uh, incidental questions, and that is, what does the band look like? Yeah. Exactly. When did they record it? Where was it recorded? Mm-hmm. Was, was, were there any guest musicians that came in and played on you, any of the songs? You will never know. You'll have to Google it. I got mine stolen. And were you happy? Were you sad? Were you in tears? I was, Did you get an erection? Were I was, no. Knocking around the street, jumping was, up and down in, in, the, in a fit of euphoria? No. Were you pounding your fists on the sidewalk and wanting to bang your head against a brick wall? Here's, here's, um, did it really matter? Here's what happened. I went and took my truck in to get fucking tuned up at the mechanic station. And, and I came back and I said, wait a minute, didn't I have my iPod and a connector in here? The fucking iPod's gone. It's stolen. I was just like, I kind of laughed. That's that's about it. <laughs> you know? Well, another thing about the iPod, weren't you supposed to have it in your uh, pocket? It's in now, your... If you had it in your back pocket and you sat down, would, would you... Would you uh, crush it or mess it up if you sat on like a wooden bench or a cement bench? Uh, isn't the iPod sort of a materialistic uh, piece of uh, whatever you want to call it? It's like easy come, easy go. You know, maybe it had a history of music in it and a backlog of music, but it was all music that you downloaded out of your computer anyway, so you still have the music in your computer. Right, very much disposable. So, punk rock, I, I also got to say this, you know, uh, punk rock is so easily accessible nowadays. It isn't the, you know, the DIY of yesteryear when you were making your own shirts and record sleeves. You know, I'm sure you went and handed out flyers wherever you went. Well, you can still do that. Every now and then somebody has the wherewithal to do something like that, yeah. Um, what happens is we're getting to technology, getting back into the technology. I know where you're leading to. You're leading to the computer, and it's like MySpace, Facebook, my my personal website where you can read about all of the... Uh, Hustler Honey and Playboy Bunnies and Penthouse Pets that I've hung out with and all the movies that I've made and the rumor that's been spread about me owning a big mansion in Beverly Hills where all Hollywood movie people live and my mansion is so huge that I can rent out a wing of it for them to film rap videos and then I can rent out the other wing so they could be filming a rap video in one wing. On a Tuesday, they could be filming the, the rap video for whoever the new ultra-mega rap superstar is and that they could be shooting a porno video or a porno movie in one of the other wings. And then uh, in the other wing, I would have uh, 300 homeless people just you know, on the lawn in their in their tents and their sleeping bags and their cardboard boxes, uh, burning bonfires and roasting wieners and marshmallows <laughs> and all of the people in the community being totally up in arms because I am such a rebel and I shouldn't be living in their community.
city, and this is just a rumor that's being spread on the internet. About you? <laughs> <laughs> About Keith Morris. Holy shit. And I forgot that the uh, swimming pool, yeah. we, we, we just we just dumped some uh, bath salts and uh, let the uh, homeless bathe in the swimming pool. I mean, you, you know, my, my, my backyard could become... Uh, Next to the, the tennis courts, my backyard could become a, a giant homeless nudist colony. <laughs> right, but it, it, I mean, you you have made enough cash that you can you bought your own house. Right, I, I bought that house in Beverly Hills, three houses down in Malibu. Um, I own a house uh, just outside of Philadelphia. I own a house in. Cleveland in Shaker Heights. Who the hell's making this shit up? I own a house that uh, it's in Berkeley on a hill that overlooks the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> that's a really beautiful house. Yeah. That that's uh, four bedrooms, three baths, a living room, heated kidney-shaped swimming pool. Uh, but the the, the the also the the house, the, not the house, but the mansion in in Beverly Hills. I also need to mention this. The swimming pool is Olympic size. No shit. With diving boards and the, the, the stripes painted along the bottom of the pool so you know which lane you're swimming in. Beautiful chicks swimming and bathing in bikinis and everything oh, else. Yeah, along with the homeless people that are abusing it as a bathtub. <laughs> right. <laughs> You've done the world's largest urinal. You've done well for yourself. I'm I'm doing so well that you know I don't I don't even really need to be talking to you. I should just hang up quick. Yeah. They don't even have to go out and let people know they exist as a band. Are you talking about the do is, All they have to do is put it up on their website. Do you do you ever put in do you ever just once in a while pop in group sex and just jam it on the on the fucking stereo? I don't listen to my own music. Um unless we're going to go out and play some songs that I haven't 
uh, I haven't rehearsed the song in a long time and I need to like refresh myself on some lyrics or the structure of the song. No, I, I, I don't listen to my own music unless they're demos. Right. You know, it's like we, we got to, we're starting to gear ourselves up to record another record. What? And it's really difficult because I just got through working at a record company and I worked with some really amazing <laughs> bands. While I was working at the record company, I heard amazing bands. Like, two or three great bands a week. Like, now, for every, every, say, couple of hundred mediocre bands, I would hear one really, really, really good band. Right. Okay, now, the really, really, really good band, I would have to put up against other really, really, really good bands to determine which one of those bands was the, like, new happening great band. So it became kind of uh, a competition, which I really dislike. And it also became a, oh God, how would I say this? Um, kind of pitting, pitting bands against each other, which I guess basically is a competition. But in your back in the day, you know, in in when you first started, it, it wasn't. Do you honestly? You can honestly say that none of these bands were in competition. I mean, uh, what about? Let me ask you something. There weren't that many bands. What about Bad Brains? You don't think? Do you think they were in competition? Everybody idolized the Bad Brains. How could you compete with the Bad Brains? <laughs> Circle Jerks couldn't compare to the why Bad would, Brains. Why would Why would you even want to compete with the Bad Brains? Well, Bad Brains at their worst, we're going to just level the field, okay? It's kind of like when Jimi Hendrix couldn't get a gig here in the United States, he went to London, he put together a band with two other white guys, he was managed by Chaz Chandler, who was the bass player in The Animals, he went out, he played, and it was like he just fucking leveled everybody. With Noel Redding and Mitch Mitchell. Right, but he would go out and play, and all the other guitar players would be there. Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, Pete Townsend, Eric Clapton, they would all be there, Keith Richards. Slam dancing didn't start until the beach kids started playing punk rock. Any of the bands that drew kids that, that rode skateboards, if you notice, if you ever watch somebody slam dance, basically a guy dancing with a, it's a guy skating, riding a skateboard without a skateboard. There you have it. There I have it. I must have staged dove in front of you about ten times on Friday night. <laughs> Another Southern California maneuver from the from the slam dance to the stage dive. The, the stage dive basically is the same kind of motion that you do when you're diving off of a diving board. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and there's sections of California where every other house has a has a swimming pool. And you grew up in Englewood. And Hermosa Beach. That's and where I met Greg Ginn in Hermosa Beach. You were, that's Black Flag. And then that's how that started. You just were hanging out one day and you guys ran into each other? I worked in a record store. Okay. He came into the record store with his sister. The owner of the record store had a crush on Greg Ginn's sister, who is a very gorgeous girl, hmm. Erica. And that's the start of Black Flag. You and him in 76? We, we can blame... Eric again, <laughs> Greg's younger sister, who is Raymond Pettibone's twin sister, and a skinny, 
dad intellectual British rock star wannabe Michael Piper who is the store owner for the catalyst for Black Flag no kidding but you can't blame all of this on Black Flag no because it goes back farther than that for the Greg Ginnick could go back to the Grateful Dead for Greg Ginn, it was the Grateful Dead and Black Sabbath's Volume 4. Isn't well, that... We listen to a lot of other stuff besides that. And I was only born in 79. I'm as old as the Circle Jerks band. Well, heck, you could have been born the same day we started rehearsing. June 10th, 79. So punk rock is in the blood, you see? I was the year of. <laughs> the year of the jerk. Yeah. 